You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. I'm Mike Lunsford, and this is Mike Explores, a podcast venture where I try to answer questions about the world around us. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Mike Explores. Uh, joining me on this episode, I have my trusty co-host. You guys know her, you love her. Her name is Jay Della. Hello. We were talking uh, before we started recording about... Um, kind of our personal experiences with COVID. Isn't COVID fun? Doesn't everybody love COVID? Well, actually, I have <laughs> quite an interesting development in COVID in my life. Is really? My mom called me yesterday, and she said she was supposed to come over um, today or tomorrow, and she said, I can't come over because I don't feel well, and it might be COVID. And I said, okay, are you going to get tested? And she said, "Mm, not unless it gets worse. And I thought to myself, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it really, over the past day, has just driven home the rhetoric that is being spewed on you-know-whose side of things. And... The misinformation is just putting a lot of people's lives unnecessarily at risk, and it's upsetting. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And um, one of the things that we do with Mike Explorers, and hello, everyone out there listening, uh, we're very informal about the the intro of this show. And the reason why is because we want this to be like an open conversation. We want this to be something that like, if let's just say for instance, COVID didn't exist and Jess and I were sitting at a coffee shop and you're a friend of ours and you came by and you heard us talking, you can sit down and join the conversation as well. This is something that we feel, we want this conversation, this this interview, this podcast that we're doing, we want it to feel inviting because we want you to hear what mm-hmm. Stephanie has to say. Stephanie uh, Petzig being our, our expert doctor, Stephanie Petzig, let me be clear. Um, But the reason why we jumped in the way we did is because COVID is not something that's just out there that nobody ever experiences. We'll use another um, awful disease, um, Ebola, an awful virus, I'm sorry. Um, Everybody's heard of Ebola, but very few people in the United States, at least, have ever actually said, oh, I know somebody who's had the Ebola virus. COVID is not like that. COVID, I can name at least a dozen people that I know that have had it. Um, in fact, there's a friend of mine right now who the last post he made was on September 3rd saying that he was in the hospital and there's a picture of him on a ventilator. Oh, wow. And, and we haven't heard from him since. I don't know if he's dead. Wow. And that's kind of scary. Um, I, I just had lunch with um, a family member of mine who had it and he said, I still don't have my sense of smell back. He's like, I, I it's sort of back, but I feel like I always smell cigarette smoke no matter what since i've had covid and it's been months like that may sound like oh well that's not the worst thing in the world but that's the problem is that's only the noticeable stuff like Mm. there's so much going on with this and to your point jess there's so much disinformation out there but worse like 
and I'm using that term correctly, okay? Like, oh, Mike mis misspoke and didn't say misinformation. Misinformation is you give the wrong information. Disinformation is actively telling people falsehoods and lies because you're trying to share, like spread your own agenda. That's what's happening with this is people are like, oh, this isn't that serious, so I'm going to spread this bullshit. And mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's frightening that this is a disease that's killed almost 700,000 people in the United States, millions of people across the world. And people still are just like actively opposed to, to like not getting vaccinated, to not wearing masks and equating it to freedom. And it's just disgusting to me. Yep. Like, ugh, like I don't even know how to, how to begin where they turn this into a, <laughs> they've used pro-choice language to defend their decisions my body my choice are you fucking insane yeah and that's with with my mom and this is not me trying to be insensitive towards people who have had covid or lost anyone towards covid uh, towards covid from covid um my mom didn't get vaccinated because of the rhetoric around it and she's not going to get tested to see if she has it. She doesn't like wearing masks. Um, and I'm back. I'm fully vaccinated. Um, I wear my mask everywhere still. Uh, rarely go into public places um, like restaurants. I've been to a couple, but I'm very careful with it um, and have tried to get her to get vaccinated. And part of me and again, I this isn't me trying to be insensitive, but part of me is like, I I kind of want her to get tested and see that it is COVID and see that it's not a joke so that she'll actually start taking it seriously. Yeah. And like, that's a shitty feeling to wish something like that on your own parents. But like, if that's what, that's the only thing that it's going to take. And I love my mom to death. She's one of my best friends. But like, at the same time, I'm like, you're putting your selfishness in front of every, like, before anybody else by doing this she still goes into work she's around people all the time that's how she would have gotten it is because she literally told me yesterday that she's around people all the time who have been diagnosed with covid because she's at work yeah and i'm like how dense do you have to be i don't i wish there was an answer to that yeah. um nope. it's funny you, you mentioned you said you like i'm vaccinated and like proudly wear it on your sleeve um, my 12 year old son, um, is vaccinated and he makes it a point to tell every single person he possibly can <laughs> he interacts with. And it's kind of funny too. It's almost like, it's almost like a, like a, uh, like a pickup line. Uh, I mean, obviously he's 12, he's not doing that, but it's just like, he'll be like, at, he was like at the swimming pool and he met these other kids and he's like, uh, I'm fully vaccinated by the way. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> it's like, dude, what? Like, that's the, that's the thing of the next generation. Exactly. Is... <laughs> yeah, I have all Are you vaccinated? <laughs> you know, it's hot people who think about vaccination. Um, and that's, Here at GGR, that's, we yeah. fully support vaccinations. We do. We do. We fully, we fully support vaccinations. We fully support wearing masks in public places. In fact, like social distancing, the whole thing, the whole nine yards. Yeah. This is a perfect segue to get into our interview. So for this episode of Mike Explores, uh, we have... Uh, Dr. Stephanie Petzig, and she, I'm going to let her introduce herself. You guys can hear in the interview, like this is somebody who is uniquely qualified to speak on these things because one of the things that frustrates me is when I have, I, I, I got vaccinated, I've been wearing masks, I've been social distancing the whole time. 
But when I have somebody who's a friend who's like, well, I don't understand the point of it because of X, Y, and Z. And I don't really know the answer to that. It kind of sucks because like, it, first off, it's not my job to know that. But two, like I want people to be properly informed. And I feel like I'm, a lot of times they're not. So that was our intent with this. And that's why we had uh, Dr. Stephanie on. So listen to the interview, uh, enjoy. Um, and then at the end of the interview, you'll get to hear uh, Jess and I's uh, commentary about what we thought, uh, what uh, about what Dr. Petzik had to say. One of the things that I wanted to do specifically with this episode, um, we started doing this when the pandemic was in the midst of being a thing. And one would assume that it would have been done when we first started doing episodes of this uh, podcast, <laughs> uh, assuming that would have been incorrect because we are going into March of 2022, what is August of 2021? So that means we are now 18 months into this shit show. Um, <laughs> I have a very special guest today, and I want to I want to let her introduce herself uh, because I know that I would trip all over her credentials. But um, I wanted to do this episode because there's so much misinformation, but not only misinformation, because misinformation makes it sound like it's accidental there's so much disinformation as well, because those are literally two different things. And one of the things that I am a big believer in is if you're going to try to dispel these sorts of things, then what you need to do is you need to have somebody that knows what the fuck they're talking about. So instead of just saying like, well, let's get a bunch of, you know, people who have read things on the internet. No, I actually have somebody who has a background in this today. That's our guest. Her name is, and I don't want to butcher the pronunciation of your name, Stephanie, Pet Petzing? Yep, that's it. Petzing. Okay. This is, and because we're nerds here, uh, that's Dr. <laughs> Stephanie Petzing. Um, it is, who, it is. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> don't forget that part. Um, but I want to make, I want to make clear here too. Uh, Dr. Petzing earned her PhD in emerging infectious diseases in 2012. So I want to start there. Because this is not just some rando off the street who read an article on BuzzFeed once and now th considers themselves an expert. So, Stephanie, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about where you have a background in this and honestly, like, why you know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll, um, I'll do my best. Um, although I guess it's good to preface this by saying that, you know, those people who are really engaged in disinformation, as you said, they're probably not going to care much about my background, unfortunately. But I think for those who are worried about the misinformation and are willing to actually listen to people um, who know what they're talking about, I, I do count myself among those joyful, uh, that joyful group of people. So I, yeah, as you mentioned, I earned my PhD in 2012 in emerging infectious diseases. And while I did not work on the SARS coronavirus, because it wasn't discovered at the time, <laughs> Um, I did work on some related viruses. So the viruses that I work on are related to the SARS virus in the sense that they have a very similar structure. Their genetic material is RNA instead of DNA, like some other viruses like herpes. And they use the same kind of mechanisms to infect their hosts or very similar mechanisms at least. So um, in that regard, on the technical aspect of things, I think I am a pretty good person to talk to about you know, a lot of these technical questions. 
Um, after I did my PhD and my postdoctoral fellowship, um, also in viruses, I was very fortunate to be selected for a American Association for the Advancement of Science, Science and Technology Policy Fellowship, which is a fellowship that tries to sort of take scientific experts and put them into governmental offices where science policy decisions are being made so that the people who are, you know, working in our government, making these policy decisions around science can benefit from the expertise of scientists. And, you know, because the people who make these policy decisions, a lot of them have, you know, backgrounds in foreign affairs or they're lawyers, you know, they have legal backgrounds, but these technical policy things really need a certain amount of technical expertise. So that's what that fellowship is designed for. And I was very fortunate to be chosen to do my work at the Pentagon. Um, so with that statement, I just wanna make absolutely clear that I am not speaking on behalf of the Department of Defense, my current employer, any former employers or anybody, <laughs> they get very sensitive about, you know, speaking about stuff without getting proper clearances for appropriate reasons. So, um, you know, yeah. just wanna make sure yeah. I, I, I don't work there anymore. That was my fellowship and I'm certainly not speaking for the Department of Defense on this stuff. Um, but, you know, it, it was a really fantastic experience because I really got to see kind of the other side of a lot of the issues that go into this like COVID mis and disinformation um, because there's there's so much going on in the background of our daily lives that, you know, policy and regulatory processes that, you know, people just aren't aware of normally <laughs> because they impact our lives, but they're silent. They're in the background. And so when people see something like COVID happening and all of a sudden these processes have a really, you know, loud impact on our lives and are in the press cycle, but they're not aware of all the, you know, checks and balances that are going on every day, you know, I mean, why would they, right? So um, that fellowship really helped me get a good insight into kind of that side of things. So I'm hopeful that, you know, for some of the questions that maybe are not super technical in nature, that background will will help me uh, answer them or, you know, establish some credentials for answering them. Well, I, and, and thank you for, for kind of setting the table for this. But I also want to make make clear to you, uh, clear too as well that the the reason why we're doing this is not about like these are the policies that you should follow this is what this organization says or this uh agency says it, it's about the things that we see like you said on a daily basis that are just completely wrong and like i'll give you a perfect example is i in my outside of this podcast profession that i do uh, i have somebody who got covid and all of us that were in the office with them had to be quarantined for 10 days. So we had to come home, work from home for, for 10 days because of their exposure. And they still have not gotten vaccinated. They mm. still don't believe that it's that big a deal because they got sick, their kids got sick, and everybody got okay. So it was no big deal, right? No, no big deal at all. And not only that, they're now back in the office and saying things like, oh, it's no big deal. I can't get sick again because I've already had it once. And mm. like – it's just it's so insane to me to think that like somebody one thinks that two that it's <laughs> like I don't even know where to start with that because it, there's so <laughs> much wrong with that sentiment. There's so much wrong with that thought process that I don't even know how to correct them because it's it's not just a oh, hey, that's not correct, because if you've had it once before that you can still get it again. But not only that, you can still infect others. And that's kind of why you want to have the 
uh, vaccine because they don't care. Like you said, it's not about misinformation. It's about disinformation. And it just makes it such an infuri infuriating situation. So that's kind of where I wanted to start with with this. And, and that was kind of our, my first question for you is big picture with something like this. Do you find yourself having to essentially it's like a, it's like a second job for you where you have to dispel all of the crap that's not true. Every time you see somebody say something stupid online or hear somebody say something in public, do you feel like it's your duty to correct them and be like, no, you're wrong. This is none of this is correct. No, you shouldn't be taking horse dewormer. No, you shouldn't <laughs> be taking something that was meant for. Um, oh, I just lost what hydrochloroquine, uh, hydro, uh, what that was meant for. Um, malaria thank you very much yes yeah like no you <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be taking an anti-malarial drug um <laughs> to kill something that has nothing to do with malaria like it how difficult is it for you knowing what you know and hearing people just run their mouths about dumb shit that they have no idea what they're talking about yeah <laughs> hold on <laughs> let me let me have a cry and i'll come right back <laughs> No, I'm kidding. But um, no, I mean, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It is really, really difficult. And I've kind of gone through waves of activity. Um, you know, I think, I guess what I've kind of after, as you said, 18 months of this baloney, um, I've come to sort of different buckets. Like I've had to categorize things into buckets in terms of judging how I'm going to respond or if I'm going to respond. Um, you know, there are certain things that happen, particularly on like Facebook and the comment sections. And, um, you know, when you're engaging with somebody on Facebook that you don't know, I found that to be like diminishing returns, right? Like I probably won't engage anymore on something that is a public Facebook comment in like a CNN article or something, you know, just because those people are probably not even real people. Those people, I think, are largely planted um, by people who have a vested interest in this pandemic continuing to disrupt the American economy and the American security and the American health system. Um, so I think, you know, the more you engage with those sort of anonymous comments, you know, you're not going to change anybody's mind. They have access to the information. They don't want the information. Like they're just, you know, <sighs> however, when I see a friend or relative share something that is false or potentially dangerous, then I do usually feel the need to engage because this is somebody that I care about, somebody that my family might be exposed to and I need to let them know that, you know, what they're doing is not safe or the information they have is wrong. Um, now, implicit in what I just said is that I don't care about the general public. And that's not true. Like, my whole job is to care about the general public. Um, <laughs> the whole reason I was in it. school. Yeah, like, that's literally my job. Um, and, you know, the whole reason I was in school for, like, I don't know, 100 years. And didn't make a, a grown-up salary until I was almost 40 was because I wanted to learn how to appropriately care for the public. Like, I'm not a medical doctor, so not in that sense, but in the public health sense, in the public health security sense. So I do care, but I only have so much energy. <laughs> um, and, you know, when you're engaging with these, like, Facebook 
anonymous people, it's, it, it just doesn't really help much. So oftentimes if I see something that's actually dangerous in terms of like, oh, you know, take this crazy treatment or whatever, I'll usually just post something very short and an article to back it up and then just disengage because people yell at me, people send me private messages that are, you know, sometimes scary, but usually rude. Um, so there's only so much I can do in that sense. But I do think that as scientists, we do have a certain amount of obligation to engage with the public on these things. Um, you know, it would be nice if I could charge a consulting fee for everybody that I've answered questions on Facebook to. But that's, you know, for me, it's, it's part of the, it's just part of the gig, you know. Um, and yeah, so I don't engage with people in public, uh, in person. Yeah. I mean, because I, I mean, it depends. Again, if there's somebody who is asking a good faith question, I will talk to that person all day. I will take like hours and hours of labor and, you know, my, my consulting <laughs> background and I will talk to that person all day. If somebody has a good faith question, you know, if anybody who's listening to this has a good faith question and wants to, you know, be connected to me, please like Mike, connect me. I'm happy yeah. to talk to anybody yeah. and anyone who has a good faith question, um, no matter how off the wall it might seem. But when you see somebody, you know, a lot of these people, they're, they have equated this like rebellion with their personal identity, you know, rebellion against public health measures with their personal identity. And they're just going to yell at me. They're going to spit on me. And I, I just don't want that for myself. Or, you know, oftentimes I'm with my daughter and she's two and, you know, I don't want her to be exposed to somebody screaming at me. So if I see somebody without a mask, I just leave wherever I am. <laughs> yeah. I just leave. No, I, I, I completely get that. I think that that's a perfect segue into good faith questions because we reached out to our group that we have on Facebook to get some questions for you. And before I read any of these questions, I want to preface something. So we may have come off in this conversation thus far and, and as like looking down on people who are against the vaccine or looking down on people who are not wearing masks and those sorts of things. And I want to be clear with this. There is a certain amount of frustration. There's a certain amount of anger that comes from people who are doing everything they possibly can to stay away from this virus, to not get infected, to not infect others. This is not a situation where we're saying you're dumb or you're bad or you're wrong for not doing any of these things. But let me be 100% clear if after hearing the facts from a, a doctor who has studied this, who is an expert, if you still feel the same way, then yeah, there's gonna be a certain amount of frustration and anger at your insistence on not listening to facts and listening to falsehoods and disinformation. That's the big thing with this. That's why I wanted to do this. Cause I know that there are a lot of people out there who are still scared and rightfully so, this is some scary stuff. And there's some things out there for instance, when it comes to trusting the government that people have issues with. I understand that. I totally get that. But this is a much worse situation than you think, because this is not people who, as Stephanie had said, these are not people who are doing things in good faith. These are people who are purposefully trying to subvert the truth. They're purposefully trying to control people into believing this narrative. And it's 
it's a bigger issue and we may have to go into it in a completely different podcast where we talk about anti-intellectualism where if you're educated and you are you're an expert in your field that automatically people distrust you and that's so counterintuitive i i can't even begin but I wanted to at least say that before we got into these questions, because we want our goal is to try to spread the truth is this is why it's called Mike Explorers, because I want to explore this stuff. I want the truth. I want to know what the actual answers are, but I want to share that with everybody. So let me step off my soapbox and we'll get into these questions. <laughs> well, let me get on mine real quick, because Please do. Uh, I just I totally. Yeah, I, I really want to foot stomp what you said. This is not about looking down on people. This is not about saying, oh, you know, the government has has all the answers. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Although, you know, I am here to help. Um, <laughs> like, you know, there are really good reasons to have questions and concerns about things. And, and you know, not everybody has a freaking PhD in microbiology, so they don't know all the things, right? Like, why would they? You know, people have specialized knowledge about a lot of things. I literally can't change a tire. You know, like I don't if I need a tire changed, I'm not going to try to do it myself. I'm going to find somebody who knows how to change a tire and ask them to do it, you know, because I know my limitations and, you know, the, we all have a role to play. Right. So this is not about looking down on people. And as you said there, you know, the U.S. government has a history of doing some stuff around health, you know, particularly if you are a member of um you know, if, if you're a, a the member of a, of a person of color community, the U.S. government has a history of doing some truly horrible things. And it's not that long ago. You know, it's like within a generation that the U.S. government did some truly terrible things to to people of color and to, um, you know, to women and to the disabled. And there are good reasons to ask questions. Um, but, you know, what I'm hopefully able to convey to people who, as you said, are operating in good faith, um, is that things have changed, things are not perfect, but you have a lot of people in the government because the government is made up of people who are working to make things better and things have gotten better even from 10 years ago. So yeah. that's that's my soapbox. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm glad we're, we're on the same page for this for sure. Um, it's all about truth. It's all about trying to save lives and the fact that people are knowingly going into this not even knowingly are unfortunately misinformed or disinformed and risking their own lives and the lives of their loved ones. I just, I, I that's what's scary to me. But again, that might be a topic for a whole nother podcast. So let's focus on COVID. Let's focus on misinformation and disinformation. So this is from one of our listeners. Um, and he, he states, um, I'm pretty left-leaning, uh, but I live in a red state. I'm surrounded by people who refuse to put on a mask or take the vaccine at all in the name of quote-unquote freedom. Like, I see this long post about this nurse who's been uh, let go from her job because she refuses to get the vaccine. She claims the vaccine has just as bad side effects as COVID. Are there actual documented incidences of such occurrence? The worst I've seen in, in just feeling nauseous for a few days. Have you run across anything like that that is shown that this these vaccines are dangerous or that the the symptoms from the vaccine are worse than what can happen from COVID? Oh my gosh! <clears throat> so I've heard <laughs> I've seen a lot of people say these things on Facebook and stuff, you know. But then when you ask them, like, oh my gosh, well, who do you know who died from the vaccine? And they say, I don't know anybody who died from the vaccine. And you say, okay, well, where's the reports of people dying from the vaccine? And they either don't have any or they send you to some, you know, 
disinformation website and you're like well this is not a reputable source um you know so uh, the short answer is no i have not seen anything saying <laughs> to document any serious adverse effects of the vaccine in any number that would be significant especially when compared to the alternative being potentially getting covid so um a couple things i want to touch on with this is one you know we have seen um, a potential increase in uh, myocarditis uh, among males, I think 16 to 19, when they received one of the vaccines. And there were some reports of um, basically blood clots in some women who received the vaccine. Um, and those things are being investigated. But again, the numbers are so small. And when you look at you know, the likelihood of that population getting the vaccine and having a negative outcome versus the likelihood of that population getting COVID and having a negative outcome, the balance is clear that COVID is much, much more dangerous. You know, we have hospitals full of COVID patients. We don't have hospitals full of patients who have had negative outcomes from the vaccine. Now, when you have any medical intervention, there's always a possibility of somebody being allergic to a component. And if they didn't know it before, then of course that's bad for them. But, you know, this is something that I was uh, kind of alluding to in my really long-winded <laughs> intro, was that, you know, there is a really rigorous process in place for the approval of biologics or, you know, biological-based interventions um, in the United States. Um, it, it, we don't just randomly inject people with stuff. And the fact that some of these negative outcomes, you know, increases in myocarditis and so on have been captured, it just reflects how rigorous the process is for testing these vaccines in populations to make sure that we're doing the best that we can to make sure that everybody can be as safe as possible. And there is a risk benefit calculation involved in any intervention. You know, anytime you get in a car, you have a risk benefit calculation. You know, anytime you drink a glass of wine, if you drink, there's a risk benefit. And when you look at the risk of getting a negative reaction from the vaccine versus one from COVID, there's really no question, um, particularly when you think about how much you can put other people at risk when you have COVID as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's. Yeah, that's a really long way of saying, no, I have not seen any credible reports of the vaccine being more dangerous than the virus infection itself. Not at all. I just, I think that that, and, and just to kind of go back to what we were talking about before, where this disinformation and misinformation, but also like the fear that's behind this, this is scary. There are, right. what is, we're looking at almost 700,000 people who have died in this country from this disease to date. And it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon because we're not taking this seriously as a, as a population as the, in the United States. And I'm not even talking about the rest of the world. The rest of the world is fighting this as well. I mean, millions have died from this. But, like, there's a certain amount of fear, and I get that. And, like, I, I think that the only way to dispel that fear is with logic, is with truth. Because the people who are, like, afraid of the vaccine because of the side effects that may happen – like you just said, it has to be clear that the likelihood of anything happening from this is like pretty slim. The likelihood that you're going to have major adverse effects from the vaccine are just not likely. But what's worse is 
is the complete and utter bullshit that gets said too. Because we talked, you talked, to, uh, and I, if I'm mispronouncing this, I apologize. Myocarditis, is that right? Yep, that is correct. Yeah, I mean that sounds like that sounds scary, but in the grand scheme of things, if that's what you're getting from COVID, isn't that treatable? And not only that, it's not permanent. It's like a temporary situation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another really really important point that I, I and again, this is one of those things where it's so important to have these conversations because like to me like that's just in my brain and I know that and I should have said yeah, that explicitly, it's okay. right? Hey, that's so, why I have a podcast. You're good. <laughs> No, this is, I mean, and this is why it's so awesome that you gave me the chance to be on here because it's also, it helps me do my job better, you know? So yes, you're absolutely correct. Um, everything that I've read about the myocarditis reports, it was, I think, 14 individuals. Um, of those, 13 did not need any medical intervention and they were, they had no problems at all after you know upon discharge they were totally fine one of them i think needed some kind of drug intervention i can't remember exactly what it was but again he was totally fine upon discharge now it's good to note that you know we don't know long term if there's going to be something that happens with these kids but it's unlikely that it's going to be worse than yeah sorry i think you can probably edit out this pause right <laughs> okay here we go so myocarditis remained rare, but it was more common in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Um, there were an extra 2.7 cases of myocarditis for every 100,000 people. Okay, 2.7. That's less than three people per 100,000 extra. So that's really not that high. However, for the people who had the coronavirus in the same age, age and sex matched population, there were an extra 11 cases of myocarditis. So if you're looking at two groups of 100,000 vaccinated versus unvaccinated males between the ages of, I think, 12 and 19, in the vaccinated group, you had less than three cases of myocarditis, more than you would expect. But in the 100,000 that got the virus, you have 11 cases, right? So at this point, it's like, okay, if you can guarantee that you're not gonna be exposed to the virus and you're worried about myocarditis, okay, fine, I guess that's one thing, you know, if you're not gonna get exposed to the virus, you don't need the vaccine, but we're all gonna get exposed. Yeah. So it's crazy to say that you would rather take the risk of getting COVID and among all of the other outcomes of COVID, if we're only looking at myocarditis, you still have 11 more people than you would expect getting myocarditis versus less than three in a hundred thousand, all of whom were fine at the end. You know, it just, it sounds yeah. scary, but at the end of the day, what's scary is getting COVID because you yeah. could first of all die or you could still get this myocarditis that apparently everyone's suddenly so worried about, yeah. or you could get any number of other long-term effects from the virus. And we don't even, we're only starting to learn about those. So it's really, you know, as you said, it sounds scary. And I, I know that, you know, if you have a child in that age, age range, it's a scary decision as a parent to give them a vaccine that, you know, you have been reading about could, could cause myocarditis. But if you know that the actual risk of the vaccine giving your child myocarditis is so, so, so low, and on top of that, 
13 out of 14 recovered with no intervention, 14 out of 14 recovered, but the numbers for COVID cases don't look that rosy. You know, at the end of the day, you have to make that decision and, and take the risk. You know, as soon as there's a vaccine for my daughter's age range, she's going to get it. Yeah. Um, the, the math is, is baffling. There's literally almost a 400% chance that you will get myocarditis higher if you're not vaccinated, if that's your yep. concern. Like that's uh -huh. that's insane, insane to me to think that people are still fighting this in, in, in that. But like, it seems like they have an excuse for everything. It's like they just want to be proven right yes. for fearing this. And that's, I think, what's scary to me because that's the other thing too. I want to completely just, just shut the fuck down right now is Oh, well, I got it and I didn't die. Good. Ugh. I'm very glad that you didn't. But those are not the only effects because it's not just your um, cardiovascular system that's affected by this. It's also like your neurological system, your kidneys, mm -hmm. your liver. Like this is not just something that like hits your lungs, you cough it up and then you're good. The, the, please give me a little bit more information on the like the effects that we're seeing that this virus has on people because I don't think everybody really gets it. Yeah, no, and, and that is something that, you know, I think because the media has been really satisfied with the drama of the actual deaths and then the controversies around the vaccines and mask mandates, you know, like they're getting their fill of stories, so they don't need to cover this part, which I think is actually almost more scary, um, is, as you said, these long-term effects of the virus on people who were infected and recovered and we're only we're still just scratching the surface on that i mean as you mentioned the the primary target of the virus is thought to be sort of the lungs you know it's um you know sort of a respiratory disease as we say but the the, the molecule on your cells that the virus uses to initiate infection is present not only in the respiratory tissue and there's a lot, you know, this is a new virus. There's a lot that we learned about this group of viruses when the uh, SARS outbreaks and the MERS outbreaks were happening. But there's a lot that we still don't know. And on top of that, this virus is affecting people in numbers where events that, you know, might have been a little bit less dramatic or, or less rare and less likely to be linked to um, a SARS or MERS infection because we just didn't know about it. You know, we're seeing those now. And so there's a lot that we are still learning. And, and as you said, there is everything from affecting the muscles, affecting the neurons, affecting the brain, affecting the heart. And, you know, we're seeing people who have long-term cognitive issues. Um, I think we're still trying to figure out exactly what causes that and, and if there's any way to reverse that or, you know, how long that's going to go, if it's going to be deteriorative, um, you know, there's just really a lot. This is a virus that kind of gets everywhere in your body, um, almost everywhere, I should say. And, you know, it's it's really scary. <laughs> you know, so when people say like, oh, okay, you know, there were a lot of deaths, but like there were a lot of infections and look at how many people recovered. It's important to know that, you know, recovery data is basically largely from people who did not get just because they didn't die doesn't mean that they're fine. There is a wide spectrum of effects from, between, you know, 
being infected and not having any issues and being infected and dying. There is a lot in between there. And that can range from you know, long-term ICU stays, which we're seeing again, the ICUs are absolutely filled to the max in certain areas to the point where people are not able to have surgeries and such that they need because the hospitals are full. Um, all the way to people who, you know, might have issues for the rest of their lives recovering from this virus. Yeah. So, um, you know, people have this like fallacy, this, this fallacy about, well, I was, I had it and I was fine. Like, well, first of all, are you sure you're fine? <laughs> and secondly, there's a lot of people who had it and didn't die, but that does not mean that they were fine. I want to, I want to share something because that makes me so fucking angry. And I have a feeling that you're going to feel the same way too, because it's such a like alpha male bullshit concept in general that we see. But there are t-shirts, there are fucking t-shirts that people wear that say unmasked, unmuzzled, unvaccinated, unafraid. And it, it makes me want to like just like vomit in rage because it's just, it's so disgusting that the concept of wearing a mask is so oppressive to you that like, you're not, that you can't, uh, I can't even like formulate the words and I literally do a <laughs> podcast. That's how angry I am. Like how frustrating is it for you to know what you know and see what you see through actual study all the things that happen to people because of COVID and you still see people out there wearing dumb shit like this proudly. They're so proud of themselves. You can't muzzle me. You can't mask me. I'm not afraid. Like it's not about being afraid. It's about being safe and worrying about others. It's just the selfish sentiment just drives me up the fucking wall. Like how hard is it for you knowing even more than I know about this, seeing people act like this, acting so careless and so callous about something that is killing hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just going to be very, very honest here for a minute and just, I see things like that and I, I try to, you know, respond with humor. Like when you were talking about that, I was like, well, at least they're self-labeling. So I know who to stay away from. And that's <laughs> nice. You know, I see somebody like, like that and I'm just going <laughs> to, yeah, I'm going to peace out. Like, okay, thanks for letting me know, bro. Um, this is not the right restaurant like, to go to. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Um, bye. <laughs> um, but honestly, like, this is something I've talked with my therapist about. <laughs> Um, because, and I'm not even a medical frontline worker, right? Like there are people, I can't imagine being an ICU nurse or, or, or an ICU doc and being away from my family. You know, I, I, I know people, I'm friends with people who they work around the clock, the, the medical laboratory specialists as well. And then the people actually developing the vaccine, these people that are so maligned, right? They're working around the clock. They can't be around their own families because they can't control their exposure to COVID. And then they have to like exist in a world where you see this kind of bullshit, right? Like, why are you spending so much of your energy and your time? Why are you making all these sacrifices just to have these ding-dongs running around, undermining everything you're doing, maligning you? Like, I can't imagine being an ICU nurse or, or doc or, or lab tech. Like, it just, 
it, it boggles my mind. And and even from my perspective where, you know, I'm lucky I get to work remote. I don't deal with patients. I, you know, I can keep myself pretty safe as long as I'm willing to just go stir crazy, um, which I am. It's fine. Everything is fine. Um, but it, it is really, really hard. And, you know, it, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts when I see it from strangers. It hurts when I see it from people I care about, because there are some people that I care about deeply that hold really opposing views with me. And, you know, it's it's always been a little bit difficult because, you know, there are things that I care about a lot that I think are important and, and they disagree with me on. and it's hard but when it's something like this that affects me so directly in a lot of ways you know you feel helpless like you you're you're watching the world burn and you're trying you know you and your your colleagues in public health have these little bucket chain going trying to keep the fire down and then these people are just running around with torches and and talking about how proud they are of themselves and you know you just know that these are the same people who don't wear condoms Right. These are the same people who don't get flu shots. Like it's it's always it's, it's you're always going to have this group of people and how to counter that I really don't know. It's so yeah. frustrating. I talk about a lot of that with my colleagues, you know, quite frequently because there's also, you know, there's there's a national security aspect to all of this. Um but somehow and I think the, you know, previous governmental leadership and current governmental leadership also actually you know, we, we make these things about identity when they should be about information and they should be about safety. And it should not be about, you know, political affiliation. Like, But unfortunately, and science has always been politicized. It's not something new. And maybe this is just the most dramatic example I've seen in my adult lifetime, you know, of paying attention. But to me, this feels different. And I, I do think that we have evidence um, and when I say we, I mean, you know, the U.S. has, <laughs> wow, that sounded crazy. When I say we, I mean they. They have evidence <laughs> that, you know, there are foreign governments and there are other groups that are working to counter the public health messaging that our government tries to put out, you know, and they have reasons for that. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's good for our our enemies, I'll just use that phrase, I guess, to to see us weakened. It's good for us to infight, it's good for us to not be united. Is it, you know, a house divided against itself and all that jazz? Yeah. Yeah. You know, how much longer are we going to be able to stand if we can't get our heads around very simple things like there's a really infectious respiratory virus going around? And if you put on a mask, you can help protect yourself and protect those around you. Like that is a simple thing. But then, yeah, I've seen this reference to muzzling. You can't muzzle me. Like what? You want to bite people? Like what are you even talking about? I know. Like, are you just <laughs> act like you, you just think you're some kind of like uh, unsocialized dog? Like what is your problem? You know, they, what are you even fighting against? They think that we're trying to silence them is what it is and all of their lies. And again, it, you've not just talked people into disbelieving the truth. You've turned them into conscious, like, spreaders of, of falsehoods. Like, not only are yeah. they like, oh, well, I'm not going to believe the story the government's telling me. 
I'm going to actively pursue trying to convince everyone that it's not true. So it's just, it's a, it's yeah. an absolute mess. Yeah. And mock those people who are following public health guidance, right? Yeah. Like mock them, make fun of them. Yeah. You know, there's all this like implication, like this toxic max masculinity business has been rolled into it. 100%. Where you're like, Oh, well, you're not an alpha male. If you're wearing a mask, like what does that mean? Do you know yeah. what the alpha male does for the pack? <laughs> he doesn't infect them with rabies. You know, that's not what the alpha male's job is. Yeah. I think these people don't know what an alpha male is. I agree. And I, I really don't see how any of this is correlated to penis size. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> because that's all they're concerned about. Right? Don't, yeah, that's yeah. all they're worried about. Like, hey, you know, we did promise people that this would be a sexy conversation. So there you go. Um, I, I want to kind of give you some more of these questions here, because, uh, again, thank yeah, you so yeah, much yeah. For, for all this information. But this is from somebody who's actually a nurse. And and contrary to the last question, not a nurse who's, like, creating a bunch of bullshit and lying <laughs> about, like, nonsense and saying, like, well, I've seen things that happened from the vaccine that were far worse. I don't even believe that, first off. But that's beside the point. Okay. So um, let me pull this up real quick. Uh, why do I keep testing positive is what they say. April 2020, po positive, serious. December 2020, positive, mild. December 2020, uh, first dose, so their first dose of the vaccine. January 2021, second dose. July 2021, positive, no symptoms. All PCR tests and plenty of negatives in between. So, I mean, that's, I'm not sure exactly what a PCR test is, so I guess I'm sure you do, though, so. Um, as she's a nurse dealing with COVID patients uh, and has been feeling fairly healthy this whole time, the question is how likely are false positives? That is a great question. Um, so let me start by saying there are two basic kinds of, of tests for virus exposure or infection. And one of them is called the PCR te test. And one of them is an antibody test. It's important to note that these two tests really do test kind of different things. Um, the PCR test detects the virus's genetic material. So if you have a PCR test that is positive, it's very likely that you currently have the virus, that it's currently circulating in your body. Okay. Um, if you are doing the antibody test, the antibody test detects your body's immune response to the virus. So if you are antibody test positive, it's it's still possible that you currently have the virus circulating in your body, but what it really is detecting is that you had the virus at some point. And there are different kinds of antibody tests that can say, you know, you have it, you know, recently, or this is like something that was a second exposure, you know, and I don't know how good those detailed tests are for SARS, for, for COVID at this point. Um, and, you know, they, they, these two tests kind of serve different functions. Um, for both of these tests, the likelihood of a false positive is, is very, very, very small, like vanishingly small. Um, for the PCR test in particular, it is extremely small. Um, they are both very sensitive and very specific. So it's really, really unlikely that this person is, is having false positives. Okay. I think what's probably happening is this person is getting frequent COVID infections. Um, now, 
there is likely to be some protection from a past infection, at least for a limited amount of time. And I wanna really emphasize this, a natural COVID infection, and we don't know for sure, but a natural COVID infection is likely to give you some protection from reinfection, but for a limited amount of time, as opposed to the vaccine, which will give you a much more robust protection from infection and a longer lasting protection. Now, again, it's not permanent. We probably will end up with booster shots is my, my guess. Um, you know, much like we do for a lot of other vaccines, we, we end up with boosters. You know, we all get our tetanus booster every so and so many years, right? Or we should be. Um, and, you know, so I do want to emphasize that there there is probably some protection, but particularly since this person is a nurse and they're probably getting infected frequently, their immune system is being continuously challenged and continuously probably and this is just my guess without seeing their blood panel, obviously. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that this person has a good immune system and is constantly being exposed to this virus and is therefore constantly having an immune response, which is protecting them from getting sick. So that would be my best guess. Um, it would be interesting to see if they have ever done antibody tests. Um, and again, this is another really important point to note is that the vaccination does not necessarily protect you from getting infected with the virus. Being infected with the virus and getting sick from the virus are two distinct things. <laughs> um, of course, you can't get sick from the virus without being infected. This is all part of Cox postulates, right? But um, you could be infected with the virus and not get sick. Yeah. There are different kinds of vaccine that, vaccines that introduce different kinds of immunity. True, what they call sterilizing immunity, meaning that you cannot get the thing that you're vaccinated against at all, is very rare. Like I don't, I don't even know if there are actually current vaccines on the market that do that. But what they do is protect you from disease. Um, and so it's really important to note that even if you are vaccinated, it's possible that you could still get the virus and potentially still, you know, spread it to others. And I think maybe this is a really good example where something like that is potentially happening. So I'm sure that this, this nurse is probably, you know, being very careful with if they have a family, I don't know, but with their family and, you know, I'm sure that they're wearing their mask and, and doing their best to make sure that they're, you know, not introducing the virus any further. Because I do think that they're probably just getting repeatedly infected. So I want to point out something real quick and then we're going to go move on to our next question is that's that's a perfect example though is a lot of people automatically hear doctor or nurse and they immediately say okay well if this person says something they're an expert and therefore I can listen to everything and trust everything that they say but this is proof that even nurses who have worked in a field for a while still don't fully com comprehend how this disease works how this virus works and like that it's not a one size fits all, you're in this field, therefore you're an expert and nobody has to question that in any way, shape or form. Even nurses are asking questions because they wanna know. And it just shows you that like, the one that pisses me off the most right now is the fact that there's a nurse in the area that I live down here who just loves running their mouth about how she doesn't trust it and she's seen bad symptoms from the vaccine. And if you knew the truth, like, okay, just stop. Just because you are a nurse does not mean that you know every single thing that's going on and that you can't be spreading falsehoods. So that being said, moving on to the next question. Um, <laughs> MRNA sounds like DNA and DNA injected into me sounds scary. Is the vaccine going to rewrite my DNA? 
that's a, another beautiful question. And again, this is a complex situation, right? So it is, it is a great question and I'm glad it was asked and I'll do my best to answer it. But if it's not clear, I am more than happy to, you know, have follow on conversations with anybody that wants to, to, to have follow on conversations. So first of all, um, DNA injected to me sounds scary. Yeah, totes, I get that. Um, but here's the thing about our DNA. Our DNA is extremely well protected inside of the cells of our body. Our cells are basically like, you can think of them as just like big, you know, viscous globs that are surrounded by a protective layer of fats and proteins. And once you get past that protective layer, you're in the viscous globby bit, which is also known as the cytoplasm. Inside of the cytoplasm, um, there are all kinds of stuff. There are, uh, you know, the, the machinery that makes proteins. That's all in the cytoplasm. Our DNA is not in the cytoplasm because the DNA is the thing that we need to keep our species going, right? So it has evolved over a very long period of time, not only in humans, but in all mammalian cells to be really, really well protected inside the nucleus. So the nucleus, um, which I think comes from this, the Latin word for seed, and I should remember this, I've just had like this like flashback to cell bio and it's like <laughs> stressing me out that I can't think of it, but I think it comes from the word seed. And it's basically a really strong sort of protective sphere that is inside the cytoplasm of our cells. And inside of that, all wrapped up into chromosomes and surrounded by protective proteins, that there nestled is our DNA. It does not really get affected by a lot of things other than like radiation, which can just kind of like blast through a lot of these things. Only certain types of radiation, by the way. Um, but you know, that's how you end up with like cancer or something, um, skin cancer, for example. Radiation from um, the sun, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, just, just in case anybody was wondering, yes, uh, nucleus is Latin for kernel or seed. So, yes, well done. Yay! <laughs> I thought so. It's so funny. I just, like, it just popped into my brain. Weird. Anyways, but, yeah, so, um, okay. So now that we have that, okay, so our DNA is not in the cytoplasm. Our DNA is in the nucleus. And in order to get into the nucleus, you have to have, like, if you are a foreign molecule or a protein, you don't really get into the nucleus. There is a very, very tightly regulated system of what gets into a cell and from the cell, what, what gets into a nucleus, right? So, okay, now mRNA, what the heck is mRNA? Um, so the way that proteins are made, and this is something that is referred to as the central dogma, um, is basically you have DNA and from the DNA, you get little, um, it, it's like a code, right? So you have, the nucleotides and they're lined up in a certain sequence and from that sequence that is our genetic sequence that's what we're talking about so um, in order to make a protein you need the DNA instructions if you're a mammalian cell including humans so the DNA kind of goes through a very tightly regulated process where it opens up a little bit and certain enzymes come in and they read the DNA and they create a copy of it called RNA and that RNA gets out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm. 
So here you see how important and protected the DNA is. It does not go into the cytoplasm itself. It gets copied and then the copy goes into the cytoplasm. And that copy is a slightly different kind of molecule called RNA instead of DNA. So then in the cytoplasm, there is the um, sort of the, the protein factory. And so then the RNA goes into the protein factory. The protein factory reads the RNA and creates a certain type of protein. And that happens all the time in every single cell of your body, um, just constantly. That, that is part of, that, that is how we live. <laughs> that is how we do yeah. stuff. Um, now, viruses do not have the ability to make their own proteins. So viruses sort of hijack our cellular machinery to force ourselves to make the viral proteins. So what this vaccine has done is kind of taken what the virus and what our cells do naturally and sort of um, co-opted that in order to control the process in such a way that we are making a protein that the virus normally would make when it's infected and that are when it's infecting us and that our immune system can recognize and then launch an immune response to, but without making any of the other virus proteins that actually make us sick. So the virus, um, SARS coronavirus 2, is an RNA virus. And what it basically does is it takes its genetic material and pops it into our cells. And then the, this protein making um, factory makes the virus proteins and we, we get infected, right? So instead of the whole virus, <laughs> what the mRNA vaccine is doing is taking just the mRNA just the RNA part that creates that that has the code to make the spike protein for the virus. Now the spike protein for the virus is the protein that is on the outside of the virus that the virus uses to interact with our cells in order to initiate infection. It's like the 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 hand that opens the door to get into our cells, right? Like it's it's just making this hand <laughs> from the virus basically. Viruses don't have hands. Don't at me. But it's just a metaphor. I got gotcha. um, <laughs> And so because this virus protein, the, the spike protein, is on the surface of the virus, that is a really good target for our immune system to react to, right? Because if you are trying to, you know, stop people from opening your door, but you can recognize a hand when it's coming at you, you can react to that hand. And if you've never seen the hand before, then maybe the, it'll open the door before you figure out what's going on, right? So what the RNA does is, so what, what the vaccine has done, the mRNA vaccine, is it takes only the instructions for making the spike protein and it coats them in some proteins and stuff so that, because mRNA, RNA gets, gets degraded really, really easily. I used to work with it in the lab. It is a pain in the arse. <laughs> So in order to have it actually like be stable, you have to kind of coat it with stuff to, to protect it. And then it gets injected. And it's basically like a one-time deal, right? So once it gets into the cells in the cytoplasm, that mRNA can interact with our protein-making machinery. It makes the spike protein. The spike protein exits the cells, and then the immune system responds to it. And then the RNA falls apart. It never gets into the nucleus. It never interacts with our DNA. It can't. 
It so, does not get into the nucleus. That dovetails perfectly into another um, question. I've heard that things like the vaccine affects your fertility, and I wonder if there's any truth to this at all. Now, the question that I ask is because we were just talking about DNA and the fact that the virus cannot touch your DNA and the fact that fertility DNA kind of has something to do with that um, a little bit. Obviously, there's more to it than just that. Is there any truth to this whatsoever, or is this more just disinformation bullshit? As far as I was able to determine, this is all disinformation bullshit. I, I was trying to, so whenever I hear somebody ask me something like that, right, where, you know, I try not to just say, oh, that's crap. Like I Google it and try to figure out like, okay, what, where did this come from? What is the reasoning behind this? Yeah. And on this one, because oftentimes people have misinformation because they read something and it's kind of taken out of context or maybe it's reported on poorly or you know they don't have whatever 20 years of background you know so like maybe they just didn't fully understand but like oftentimes i can find kind of the source and be like oh okay so this is actually what it is with this fertility nonsense i could not figure anything out i really don't know and you know it I don't know where this came from. I don't know why people think it might affect fertility. I saw some articles saying that it affects fertility. Well, not articles. I, I don't know what. It, I saw some posts saying that it affects the fertility of people around the people who got the vaccine. So, like, unless this vaccine is radioactive, which, spoiler, it's not, I, I have no idea where this comes from. Um, but I can say that there have been enough studies now and the vaccine has been around long enough now that, you know, we've seen statistically there's no no reduction in fertility in vaccinated versus unvaccinated people as far as we're able to determine. So and I really can't figure out why there would be. Yeah. So, it, again, more bullshit. And honestly, it ties in together with what we were talking about before, where um, it's this alpha male bullshit. Guys, just yeah. you know, how do, how do you get people to completely dismiss and never ever want to get the vaccine? Tell them it's going to break their dick. Okay, well now right? I don't want it because my dick is the most important thing <laughs> in the world. You can't do that. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. so true. It's so true. <laughs> um, so you need to get people like, you know what? You know what'll make you just like really raring to go? <laughs> COVID vaccine. <laughs> you know, give me the biggest it's boner the new ever. It's Spanish fly. <laughs> the biggest boner ever comes from a COVID vaccine. <laughs> Girls will lose their mind. They'll be like, my God, exactly. Get vaccinated, assholes. <laughs> oh, my. Vaccinated. <laughs> Did you just get vaccinated or are you happy to see me? <laughs> now, th this one's a little more serious. <laughs> how much of an oh, yeah, impact... How much of an impact would... Um, having a pandemic response team have made. Trump dissolved this uh, under his presidency like a fucking idiot. How much of a difference would this have made? Oh my God, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously I can only speculate, right? Yeah, but obviously, yeah. I think that it would have made a really big difference. Um, having the pandemic response team would not have prevented the virus from coming to our shores. I don't think there was any preventing that, but having a coordinated, strong, consistent federal response early on in the pandemic, I really think would have saved thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, 
you know, we in America, we have a decentralized healthcare system and we have a, de you know, we have our states versus our federals and so on. And that's great. That's as it should be. That is America. I love America. However, when it comes to something like this, you know, there, there's not that much room for individual reactions and, and just kind of like, oh, the states are on their own. No, there are federal things and there are federal things in our in our laws like this is, you know, that's another thing I see all the time. It's like, well, the federal government doesn't have the right to blah, blah, blah. Um, actually, yes, the federal government does have the right to coordinate um, a, a, a government wide, a, a US wide response to something like this. There there are laws on the books that have been enforced for a long time um, that that, you know, create the ability to do this. Um, and having that team dissolved oh god i it's heartbreaking honestly it, it's hard to talk about um it, it's really it's hard to talk about you know some of those people i know them they're amazing and i really do think that if they had been where they should be should have been which was at the national security council i really do think we would have been in much better shape yeah because the the mobilization of federal resources such as masks and um you know personal protective equipment for healthcare workers um antivirals and also the incredibly quick and coordinated vaccine development process and regulatory processes you know all of that could have happened faster it could have happened better we could have had a more evidence-based approach um now of course it's possible we would have had these, you know, don't muzzle me people more active earlier as well. But I think at the end of the day, the balance would have been in favor of saving lives. I really do think so. And, you know, the new administration on, on the very first day reestablished this team and they have been working around the clock ever since, you know, and a lot of the people who were on the team to begin with, um, you know, they continued to work these issues just in different positions. So the U.S., I think, was extremely fortunate to have some of these people who were on the team previously, um, you know, come back and and provide the benefit of their expertise to the American people. And, and I think we should all really be grateful to them and not be maligning them. Yeah. Um, I will say that, you know, the Trump administration, I have a lot of feelings about this, but I do try to not be super political about stuff because, I, you know, I don't want to polarize the data, right? But I, I will say that despite my feelings about the Trump administration, it's, it's clear that previous administrations, including Democratic administrations, did not always give the appropriate, you know, teeth to this kind of a federal oversight structure. Um, well, I shouldn't say oversight structure, a federal coordination structure. There's a big difference. Um, you know, this has been over the course of many presidential administrations, it's been strengthened or weakened, and it's often along party lines, but not always. Um, and I really think that Congress should act to find a permanent solution to this because we have, you know, what they call the cycle of panic and neglect. And I think we're we're not going to be out of the COVID woods for quite some time, but eventually we probably will be. And I don't want this to happen again, again. You know, we said this after Ebola. We said it after SARS. We said it, you know, and it, it, it always happens. These things are always either dissolved or given, um, you know, less 
less moxie, less oomph, less power. Uh, and again, it's not about power, it's about coordination. But in order to have this coordination system be effective, they need to be regular, they need to be maintained, and they need to be funded. And the only way that's going to happen is to do our darndest in the American system to divorce it from politics and have Congress pass a law that states that this has to be a permanent body. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a challenge, but I think we can do it. And, you know, vote, vote your people in and... A lot of these things have public comment periods, too. Like, I don't think people understand how public this process is, um, including the FDA's determination of the emergency use authorization for the vaccine. There's all, all the data are public um, and all of the, you know, there are public comment periods and public hearings on all of these things. Yeah, I mean, that dovetails perfectly into one of the next questions um, about, um, well, one, like normally vaccines take years to develop two years um if, if not more why were the covid vaccines able to be developed and produced so quickly but then additionally why did the cdc keep giving new uh, new and sometimes conflicting directions um and then we'll kind of wrap up things here yeah yeah so why the cdc gave new and sometimes conflicting directions that's going to be a hard one for me to answer from a balanced perspective but i'm going to do my darndest <laughs> um so the Centers for Disease Control, um, I have some friends who work there. I, I have so much love for that agency. Maybe I'll work there someday myself if I'm lucky. Um, I, I affectionately think of them as like the uber nerds of the government in many ways, um, without adding the intel community who are like the uber uber nerds. But so the CDC is staffed with just an enormous amount of brain power and professionalism and amazingness. Um, however, they are still a government agency and the government leadership is political, politically appointed, right? So um, there are sometimes things that come into conflict with what political leadership might want to send as a message and what the science and the scientists are actually saying, right? Um, because, and, and there's a balance there. And you always have to, when you're dealing with public health messaging, it's difficult to strike a balance between, you know, uh, fear and evidence-based and, you know, maximum risk versus minimum risk, you know. Ideally, we could have all just stayed home for a year and not talked to anybody, and probably we would be okay right now, except the economy would be in shambles more than it already is. So obviously that's not possible, right? So it's a really difficult balance to strike. Um, and I will say that, you know, another thing that I think maybe could have been improved in our messaging early on was transparency about the process. You know, there are a lot of things that we didn't know early on in the pandemic, and there are still things that we're learning. You know, science is, is a process of learning, and that goes on continuously. Early guidance around not, you know, masks being maybe not that useful for the general public, that was a little bit misrepresented because really, I think what they were trying to do, and I don't know this for sure, but I think was, first of all, I don't think we really appreciated exactly how infectious this virus is and the fact that masks actually really do help. The other thing is 
we as a country did not have a huge stockpile of masks. This was before everybody had a sewing machine and was suddenly making masks and you could get, you know, really cute Halloween ones on Etsy like I did. Um, you know, that this was before all of that. And we needed masks for our frontline healthcare workers and our first responders. And we couldn't just have everybody buying up all the masks like they bought up all the gosh darn toilet paper. <laughs> Right. So I think some of the messaging was trying to to counter the threat of, you know, having the masks not be available for people who are getting, you know, coughed on into their directly into their eyeballs all day long because they're trying to save lives. Um, but I think that messaging maybe could have been improved upon. But, you know, we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know what impact it would have. So I think the whole, you know, why did the messaging change? Messaging changes as we learn more information. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, but I also do think that, especially early on in the pandemic, there were certain political motivations that might have clashed with the science. Um, there was some challenge around getting some of the kind of uh, science-based information out there in a way that the politics would allow. Um, so I don't think that we had the best balance when it comes to that. Um, and yeah, I have some feelings about that. Yeah. Um, but again, I think one of the really big things to, to know, to, to remember is that as we learn more information, messaging often will change. And I think we in the public health field, in the world of public health, we need to be more transparent about that process. Um, but that also requires the public that's willing to educate themselves, you know, willing to be a little bit um, more aware of the processes that that keep our society going. Um, and so with that, you know, going to your, your first question about the vaccine and the timeline for the development, I'm so glad that somebody asked that because I see that over and over and over again, like, oh, well, this vaccine, it was developed so quick, like it's not possible, blah, blah, blah. And I totally get that, right? Because vaccines for diseases really do take a long time. But why do they take a long time? Well, there is a process for vaccine approval in this country, and it, you know, it all starts with there being a problem. Somebody has to be like, oh my God, I keep getting whatever, foot falling off disease. Let's work on fo foot falling off disease. So now there's grants available to do work on foot falling off disease. But if somebody decides that that is not an important disease to look at, there's just not gonna be money around to look at that. You know, So people say like, well, why don't we have a vaccine for you know, malaria. I'm like, okay, we do have one. It's not perfect, but it's better. Well, and it's part of the reason is because, you know, that's not something that we as a country have prioritized. Certain parts of our government, the military, for example, do a lot of work on this because of the areas in which they work. But for your average American, malaria is not that big of a deal. So we don't really, it's not something we focused on. Now, yeah. with COVID, this became a huge deal very, very quickly. So there was an enormous amount of financial and um, you know personnel resources that were very very quickly ramped up and all focused on COVID. Like I can tell you, at certain you know academic administ uh, academic um, institutions, you know all work that was not COVID was stopped, and they only worked on COVID. You know that doesn't happen in a normal state. You know, you're not gonna have that response for foot falling off disease, right? Like these are, you know, an enormous amount of, of brain power and money that suddenly was all diverted to one cause. 
So of course it's gonna happen faster. The other thing that's important to know is both of the vaccine platforms, so the mRNA vaccine and the adenovirus vaccine had previously been extensively researched, okay? Um, so when SARS and MERS hit, there was a lot of research that went into vaccines for those diseases. And then they kind of fizzled out so the vaccine research was stopped, but we still have all that information and we still have all those platforms. Um, the mRNA vaccine technology has been in development for quite some time. And, you know, we got lucky, right? <laughs> the mRNA vaccine approach that they tried for COVID was really effective. You know, sometimes you have to try a lot of different things before you get something that works. But work, you know, the, the, the research that went into developing the mRNA vaccine for COVID was based on really good um, research that was done for some other diseases, some other viruses. And, you know, they, they didn't hit as big of a population as COVID did, so that work was not continued. But we were able to use those same platforms, and because they're similar viruses, we were able to use the same approach and really build on previous data. So that is another reason why it came up quickly, because we didn't have to start from scratch. We had really good platforms, really good um, information to start from. The other thing that made it go really fast is when you're doing vaccine trials, for something like COVID, you can only do basically two arms of study, right? So you're doing a study to see if the vaccine is safe. And you're also, at the end of the day, you wanna know if the vaccine is effective, right? So you can give people the vaccine and you can compare them to people who didn't get the vaccine and see if there's any like negative outcomes. And I wanna stress that these processes are volunteer-based. I myself have volunteered for a number of different vaccine trials. I have gotten all sorts of experimental vaccines and I'm doing okay so far. Um, you know, so this is a process where the people who want to help the cause and oftentimes get a small fee, volunteer to get injected with an experimental medication or an experimental vaccine. It sounds crazy, but it's not that crazy. These things go through a certain number of animal testing studies and the federal the, the FDA goes through and evaluates all of the data to see if it's safe to go into the next stage of the trials, human trials, right? So it's, it's easier to test if something is safe than to see if it's efficacious. Because, you know, you can have so and so many people who volunteer to get the vaccine and so and so many people that you use as a comparison group and you make sure that you're not having any more, you know, adverse things happening to the people who got the vaccine versus the people who didn't, okay? So that's the safety part. The efficacy part is much harder. Um, when you are working with something like, say, Ebola vaccine, you know, you can't just enroll like 5,000 people in the DC metro area and in, into the trial and see which ones of them are not gonna get Ebola. None of them are gonna get Ebola. Ebola is not circulating in the DC metro area, right? So you have to have a large number of people in an area where maybe they're going to get Ebola naturally and you have to wait for a certain number of people that are like age and cohort and geographically matched with the people who got the vaccine to get Ebola so that you can say these people did not get Ebola and these people who did not get the vaccine did get Ebola. Okay, so now we know that there's an actual protective effect. So that takes a long time because you just don't have such frequent exposures to something like Ebola. Yeah. Right. However, COVID was is running rampant in the United States. 
So that is another reason why the vaccine was able to go through the process so quickly because that whole timeline was compressed enormously because it did not take very long for a huge amount of the unvaccinated people to come down with COVID, to get infected with COVID versus the vaccinated people who did not then get infected with COVID, right? Or, or get sick from COVID or got sick, but had better outcomes, right? Because there was so much COVID circulating, that data was able to be gathered much, much faster than normal. So it's not, you know, yes, it was a compressed timeline, but there were no corners that were cut. Throughout this entire process, the, um, the medical safety boards, the expert boards, the research boards, the FDA scientists, and the public process was all there. The documentation is all on the internet. You can just Google it, it's all there. Um, no corners were cut. It's just that the combination of focusing all of our resources on one goal, having existing platforms to build off of, and having the extremely high rate of you know, transmission of COVID in the population allowed us to get the data much, much faster than we normally would. Wow. Like, <laughs> what a way to end to end things, uh, Stephanie. Thank you, because that's, it, it makes so much sense when you think about it. Like, hey, why does it take you an hour to clean the entire house all by yourself? Well, because I'm doing it all by myself. Well, what if you recruit exactly. your spouse and your kids and you guys get it done in 20 minutes like it that's the it's the simplest of explanations and people jump to these ridiculous conclusions <laughs> but yeah um i, I want to thank you for your expertise because really honestly it's made me feel better about it but more so we now have something that we can share with people when they're like well what about this hey i talked to a doctor who actually knows what the fuck they're talking about and they said this is the reason why this is happening instead of your youtube youtuber who's like look at the truth man like no this is actual fact things that you can back up that have been tested and proven so i can't thank you enough for this incredible amount of information that we've had so uh, again this was dr stephanie petzing who was gracious enough to inform all of us on on all these things that we were concerned about when it comes to the COVID-19 virus. So again, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Petzing. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, I'm I'm totally available if people have follow-up questions, if anybody wants to see the sources, if anybody needs help interpreting a source that they've found themselves, you know, just let me know and I'm I'm happy to come back if that would be useful. I, I really had a good time and I, I love talking. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty sure we'll end up having you back as a follow-up for sure. But uh, again, uh, thank you so much. So again, I definitely want to thank Dr. Stephanie Petzig uh, for her insight on this, because this is one of the best interviews that I've done. Um, and I'm not like patting myself on the back and saying, Mike, you're such a great interviewer. No, like, I mean, like, this was one of the most insightful, like, important conversations I've ever had that I've recorded. And it, there was so much information that I learned that was just absolutely fantastic. But like, her ability to kind of shoot down all the bullshit was fantastic. Right. And that that was like 
kind of my my big takeaway with this is that like all the things that I've read and all the things that I've heard about like oh here are the problems with this and like the myocarditis is a perfect example uh, oh your heart might swell uh, when you get the uh, vaccine yeah it will but it's temporary. Right. But then if you get COVID, it stays. And it's and like that's the reason why people who are anti-vax are saying that they don't want to get it. That's one of the reasons. Well, it might ca cause my heart to swell. Yeah, temporarily. Whereas COVID will cause it to swell and then it's not fucking going away. Like that's Yeah, and that I think that that's mind. that's something that I pulled away from it too is like while yes, there are side effects to the vaccine, like we can't sit here and say like, no, absolutely nothing will happen. Um, the effects of COVID are just so much worse and, yeah. and much more long-term. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And that was, that was the other thing that I took away from this too, is like, I've seen so many people say, oh, well it's your body and you can do whatever you want with it. That is such an like irresponsible sentiment. Because right. it is it is your body. It is your choice. As long as you choose not to interact, not to go out in public, not to breathe on anybody else, not to go anywhere. If you stay in your home and you don't interact with anybody and you don't want to get the vaccine, fucking wonderful. Great. Do that all day. But once you start having to go to a restaurant, having to go to a grocery store, going into your office, it's your responsibility not to fucking kill other people. Right. And – People just, oh man, it's it's so frustrating to see people show how little they care about other people. Yeah. Yeah, I also like uh, along kind of the same lines of like the, um, like not understanding the vaccine is just like people who are, on, which is why I'm glad that that you that we did this interview is because people who are not educated in health or science are taking information that's been released and kind of warping it into their own idea of like, okay, so the vaccine goes into your bloodstream and then it goes into your brain because it was in your bloodstream. But like, that's not true. The vaccine never gets to your brain. Um, yeah. That's not something that happens. And so like, it's, I mean, for I mean, I would say for lack of a better word, but like this isn't the case, but they're uneducated. And like, I'm not saying that they're like they're stupid, but <laughs> I mean, let's let's, let's, like, call, let's call this what it is. OK, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. But like it's like I would never sit there and try to pretend like I know everything that doctors are talking about or Dr. Stephanie is talking about. Like yeah. I because I don't. But I do trust that this vaccine does what it's supposed to do. And also the idea that like I got the vaccine or like people who have the vaccine have gotten COVID. Yeah. Like, like nobody said that that was impossible. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I'm glad that we have facts. That's, that's the important thing. Right. And I'm, I'm glad exactly. that we have somebody who is qualified to speak of these things. You know, yes. because that's definitely what what Dr. Petzig is able to do. She's able to speak of these things because she's a fucking expert. I think the bigger issue here is not so much. And I even mentioned it in the interview. I don't think the bigger issue is that the scientists aren't doing their job. I don't think that I, I don't think the bigger issue is the media, because a lot of people love blaming the media for everything. 
I think the bigger issue is people. I think that yeah. what ends up happening is, is people feel inferior. It's an inferiority complex. People see doctors telling them what to do. This is the smart right. thing to do. This is the right thing to do. And them being like, well, who are you? You're no better than me. I'm, I'm a, I work hard. Okay. Why are you turning <laughs> this in? Why are you turning this into a thing? Like this has nothing to do with how hard you work. This has to do with, we're trying to save lives here, but like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so funny because it's so true. It's yeah. like, I'm not listening to you because I work hard and it's like, okay weirdo um what does that have to do with anything like <laughs> right exactly and ultimately like that's that's another that's a bigger issue and like i don't know how we tackle that on mic explorers for crying out loud is people's propensity to feel automatically inferior and feel bad because people who are educated and have the facts are telling them hey this is what you should do right. like this whole fallacy of freedom, you know, we're a free country. We can do whatever we want. You know, like I'm allowed to make my own decisions. Yeah, you are allowed to make your own decisions, but like stop being a selfish dick about it and think about other people for once. Like it's yeah. And, yeah, I, and yeah. I, I'm also tired of the argument of like, I'm doing what's best for me. And it's like, even if that were true, it's not true. <laughs> like, because I hear that a lot with people is, oh, I'm just making the decision that's best for me and my family when it comes to the vaccine. And I'm like, one, that's bullshit. And two, it's literally not the best decision for you and your family. Because no. when little Timmy goes to the hospital for COVID, what, you're going to think back and be like, damn, I really wish I would have done that. And guess what? You had all the opportunity to and all of the correct information, but you just chose not to. And that's the other thing, too, is I think that what's worse is, is even when they do get COVID, even when their kids get COVID, it doesn't affect them. Yeah. They don't. It's, it's not that they don't care. They're like, oh, well, you know, this was meant to be like that's the other side of this thing that gets really, really, really nasty is the religious aspect. When people Ugh. are like, well, um, my vaccine is is Jesus, you know, like <laughs> it's. Yeah. I'll, I'll my my protection is my faith in the Lord. That's all the mask that I need. Like I just right. It's it's so frustrating. And right. Well, a coworker of mine, a a very good friend of mine that I work with, um, he lives with his wife and his son, and he he was he is very educated when it comes to the vaccine. I think that he was more afraid of like the vaccine i'm not trying to stick he wasn't vaccinated his family wasn't vaccinated um he's very cautious for him he was like we are taking this very seriously because we're not leaving our house to go like we don't go anywhere if we do have to go somewhere we um double up on masks like he definitely was is um like a weird side of the spectrum for me because it wasn't like he wasn't like, I'm not, he was like, I'm not against the vaccine. And if it comes to a point where I feel like it would benefit my family, then I would get them get like, we would all get vaccinated. It's not that I'm against it, which was a weird stance for me because I'm like, yeah, just do it. <laughs> um, but he felt like we don't go anywhere. And if we do, we double up our masks. So I don't want to get the vaccine. Um, they went out to one event. It was 
everybody was masked at the event. Um, it was required for masks. Um, they went out to one single event and he was in the hospital last week for COVID. Jesus Christ. Double masked the whole time. But that's the difference. The difference is between, and he was like, looking back, I, I wish I would have just done it. I wish I would have just gotten, that's the thing is like, he is out of the hospital now, luckily. Um, he, but he texted me while he was in there and he was like, I would never wish this on anybody. This I've never felt like this before. Yeah. And I was like, well, and that's the thing though, is, is he's fortunate. That sounds awful because he got sick, but he's fortunate. No, they yeah. didn't fucking die. Yeah. Yes. I, yes. And like I mentioned that a, a family member uh, of mine uh, had gotten it, uh, both him and his wife had gotten it and they were being careful. They were wearing masks. They wanted to be vaccinated, but they got it before the vaccine, the vaccine was out. Like, yep. it, it's, it's just, it's awful. It's, I it's did. So... I, I, um, so my father-in-law is a doctor and, um, he truly hands down 100% believes that I had COVID before testing was even available. Yeah. Um, it, my fever reached 104 and didn't break for three days. Um, I went to the doctor multiple times. I went through three different rounds of antibiotics, tests for flu, strep. They looked for bronchitis, anything. Everything was coming back negative. Um, I could barely breathe. It was, it was hell. It was hell what I was going through. And I because I don't know for a fact, um, because testing wasn't available, but like I said, he's, he's been voted the best doctor in Virginia. <laughs> and he really? even, yeah. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. Not this year, but, um, a few years ago. Hey, yeah. but you know, it's, it's still a, you know, it's still a crazy. Like, title. I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, no, he was like, I 100% think that that's what you had after like all the research that's been done and what we know about it now. And I remember, trying to break my fever, sitting in the bathtub, hunched over the side of it. My partner had to hold me, hold like my body up. And I was sobbing because I was like, I have never felt like this before and I'm not okay. I just, first off, I'm sorry to, I didn't realize that that, I knew you were sick at one point, but I didn't like- It was, it was horrific. Oh, <laughs> I just like, I hear stories like this and I just think like, you could have died. Yeah. And I think of the, the responsibility that we shirked as a country when the former president decided to completely disband the pandemic response team, that we could have done something about this. And like, I'm not going to, I'm sure there's conspirator, uh, cons conspiracy nuts out there who were like, yeah, well, we're the ones that funded the research for this and it was all man-made. That hasn't been proven. I'm not doing that. I'm not having that conversation. Right. Like, the fact that we didn't have a pandemic response team in place is frightening. And the fact that like I could lose friends, I could lose family members to this thing scares the shit out of me. Chelsea, yeah. my stepdaughter got COVID. And like, I was, I was really worried because she's, she has asthma. I was like, this could, this could really screw her up. She's lucky that she's in, she's in good physical condition that she eats right. That like, it didn't take her down, but like, 
that was scary because this yeah. was before the vaccines existed. Like my 12 year old was exposed to her. I was exposed to her. My wife was exposed to her. Like, luckily I was still working from home at that point. But like the fact that there are people out there who say like, I refuse to be afraid. Like I'm unmasked, I'm unafraid, I'm untethered or whatever other bullshit that they say. <laughs> like good for you. But you know what that is? You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like somebody the people who are the most afraid are the ones that bark the loudest. Right. You know, like, mo like, like with, we'll use a dog analogy here since I already said bark, like dogs that, that bark the most that are the, ang like that sound the angriest are mostly just because they're afraid. And it's the right. same thing here. You're afraid because something is completely out of your control and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You can eat healthy. You can go to the gym. You can do all of these things, but you still could get this and die. And right. that scares you and it's scary and it should scare you. That's the problem. Is yeah. that you're trying to act like it doesn't, it doesn't scare you. And like, again, we're going to delve into another thing that is fuck. I'd love to explore this, but don't really know how to the, the fucking misogyny behind it. The, the, this old mindset of this alpha male bullshit of like, right. I have to be strong and I can't talk about my emotions. And the only emotion that I can have is anger. Like I'm angry that everybody is such a sheep. Like Jesus fucking Christ. Like, are you serious now? Like th there's, there's some tinges of it, uh, of that with, with this whole like anti-mask, anti, anti-vaccine anti thing. And that's a whole nother issue that I don't even know how to tackle. Right. Ugh. But it's at, all at, not yeah. good. No, none of it's good. None of it's good. <laughs> But what is good is we had an expert. So again, thank you, yes. Dr. Hetzig, for your insight on this. And and we talked to her and like she would love to come back and talk more. So for all of those out there who are listening, who are have more questions about COVID, have more questions about the vaccine, have more questions about any of the stuff that's come out. Why are people taking horse dewormer? Like, and, and to clarify too with that, before I get people saying like, oh, you're spreading false information. Yes, that drug can be used for humans and it is a good it's an anti-parasitic okay that's that's fine but it's a virus not a parasite it's not the same thing but additionally too there's been no proven like trials at all no doctors for the most part in their right mind are prescribing people this drug in order to get rid of covid same thing with hydroxychloroquine that was a, that was false like there's been no proof that that actually helps with this and I get that people are desperate. I get that people are scared. But again, too, do what people have researched. Use the vaccine instead of going out and saying, well, I can't get the human version of this drug. So I'm going to go ahead and get the livestock version of it. The thing that we would feed my horse. Like it's going to it's going to like people are literally going to the hospital because they're they're poisoning themselves from this. Yeah. Like desperation is not the right solution trust your your medical professionals and like the whole i can't tr trust dr fauci because he didn't tell me the truth on this one particular thing like just stop jesus christ just stop just realize yeah. that there's so many people that are trying to push falsehoods to push their own political agenda and like the numbers are on the side of vaccines like that i wanted to end on that note like I know it's hard. I know that there's people out there who are li who are listening who are like, well, I don't trust the government. I don't trust this. I don't trust that. Go with what's been proven to work. I don't think anybody who's been vaccinated against COVID has actually 
passed away from COVID. They may have gotten it, they may have gotten sick, but it's not as severe. And there was some stat out there that was saying like 95% of the people that are in the hospital right now for COVID are unvaccinated. That should tell you something. That should tell you everything. So that being said, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you, all of you out there who listen. Uh, stay safe. Keep wearing your masks when you're in public. Try to get vaccinated if you possibly can. Um, but remember to try to have some compassion too, that everybody is scared. And the people, again, like we said, the people that are barking the loudest about this are probably really, really scared about it. Ultimately, they're making the wrong decision and doing what they're doing. <laughs> But try to have a little bit of, of compassion when it comes to these sorts of things, because ultimately that's the only way we're going to get through this is if we all can try to work together. And that's been the message since day one here at the Great Geek Refuge is together there are no heights that we can't reach. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com for all of our awesome articles and wonderful podcasts. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy!